He is the center of flux around which things just happen. <laughs> He's just like a plot thermonuclear device. We all know the truth. More connects us than separates us. But in times of crisis, the wise build bridges, while the foolish build barriers. You raise walls, I destroy them. Let's see who prevails. Just because something works doesn't mean that it cannot be improved. I say we take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Allow my sword to join you in the fight against evil. The world needs us to chase dreams. We have to dedicate ourselves each and every single day to this fight because I can't do it alone. You, the people, have the power. The power to create machines. The power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful. To make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us all unite! Welcome to the Skiffing Fanny Show, Reading Rangers. I think it's going to take longer for you to assemble your auditor's report than it did to solve the case. Nancy Drew! In space! I'm Paul. I'm Kate. I'm Alex. I'm Trish. I'm Sarah. And we're here on Reading Rangers to talk about the latest Volkazikin reading of Volkazikin read through Memory. Yay! My favorite book! <laughs> it's. Uh... Like I said on my Goodreads review, just today when I finished it, I have no words. I hope I find some words for the <laughs> podcast. This, 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 this is a, a, major, a major landmark in the series. I understand that Bouchel doesn't want this collected in any omnibuses because she thinks it stands alone and stands as a major marker. And it is a major turn and change for Miles and the entire Volkazikin universe. It's fucking literature, man. It is. I like the summary in the chronology. Miles hits 30. 30 hits back. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't seen that. Oh, God, it's so accurate, though. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Miles having his one-third life crisis or something. <laughs> well, I think, Trish, you had a synopsis with a little bit more meat on its bones. <laughs> <laughs> Although that is kind of perfect. <laughs> it, it is kind of. That was Sarah. Um, but I will go into more detail. <laughs> okay, so remember how Miles got his chest blown up with a needle grenade and went into cryosleep and was amnesiac for a while? Well, the effects linger in that he has seizures every now and then. He, of course, does not want to get medically invalided out of the Dendari, or uh, Impsec. So he lies about it, covers it up, and ends up getting another Impsec agent having his legs amputated because he has a seizure when he's wearing power armor at a very bad time. So he's called home, and he still tries to cover it up, but Ilion finds out um, and throws him out of Impsec uh, on a face-saving medical discharge. Um, let me speed up the summary. Um, <laughs> sorry. There's too much. Sum up. There is too much. Um, <laughs> so while he's kicking his heels, he takes Tub Dove Galini and, and Dove's prospective girlfriend to a party that 
uh, Emperor Gregor is holding. And also, he starts settling into life at Vorkosikan House without his parents there. He ends up, while he's still trying to figure out what to do with himself, Ilion has some kind of medical condition going on and uh, starts getting lost in time. Um, and uh, the new guy who gets promoted locks him up and won't let anyone see it. Miles gets Gregor to turn him into an imperial auditor, which is sort of like an inspector general or special prosecutor. Basically, a lot of powers. And turns out Ilion has actually been attacked, not just had some kind of stroke or something. And Miles solves the mystery with the help of Ilion and Dove, despite Dove's being very angry that Gregor steals his girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Not that she ever really belonged to him. Damn straight. Very well. And in the course of all of this, Miles is finally having to face the fact that at some point he's going to have to integrate his two selves, Lord Vorkosigan and Admiral Naismith, and uh, he's he's run out of time to faff about with making that decision of who he is. That, for me, was the root of this book. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, I was summing up the plot, but the heart of the book is who is Miles going to turn into now that things have changed for him. This is Sarah. There's a point where he says, identity, that's my elephant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyone going to explain the elephant? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, okay. Part of what makes this book so amazing, just, you know, other than the fact that, that Lois McMaster Bujol does what most, most authors are too cowardly to do, particularly not even necessarily fiction writers, but like screenwriters are always too fucking cowardly to do, which is she basically blows up her character's life and then is like, no, he doesn't ever get to go back to what he was doing. Now the entire series has, has taken a step and we're, we're going in a different direction because it is a life change and it does have lasting effects, which I mean, oh my God, it's amazing. But like, this book also finally takes Simon Illion and makes him into like this amazing character in his own right. So it's really yes. like as much as it's the book about Miles negotiating a new normal for himself after, you know, one wound that was not self-inflicted and one wound that was. Yes. <laughs> it's also, I mean, it's this beautiful paralleling of the two where, where Miles has to, like, find his new path forward in life. And so does Simon. Presumably everyone's been following along. But to remind everyone, the whole thing with Simon Illion is he has this eidetic memory chip. And that has been, like, really useful to him as the, the chief of Imperial security. It's something that he's had for, like, you know, most of his life, basically, since he was, like, maybe 18. And it goes bad. And suddenly he can't remember things like a superhuman being anymore. And there's a good question of if, if his short-term memory is ever going to recover because, you know, you, you don't l- use it, you lose it. And he hasn't had to work to remember anything for like 50 years. And he's gone from being like the chief of IMPSEC to suddenly being forcibly retired. And, you know, he's still young enough that he basically has... Another, almost another lifetime ahead of him as well. And both he and Miles are kind of in parallel trying to figure out what they're going to do. And the whole thing with the elephant 
since, sorry, that was me coming up to the elephant, is after Ilian gets sick and then they figure out that they need to remove the chip and then he's recovered a bit, Miles uh, goes to Verkosigan Serlow and he takes Simon with him and they go on a little fishing trip because they're like, hey, the best <laughs> way to waste time and not actually do anything is fish. And they have this, like, it, it is a chapter-long conversation that is just beautifully written. And during it, Simon tells this story about, the, like, one of the craziest missions that he ever sent someone on who wasn't Miles was there was this diplomat who was like, well, what I've really always wanted is an elephant. And they were, like, trying to butter this guy up. So he got to send off a IMPSEC operative to acquire an elephant. and. You know, it was the most ridiculous thing. And then they gave it to the diplomat and he was like, well, apparently the guy actually really wanted an elephant because, you know, he took care of it the whole time. And then when he went home, he took the elephant with him. And and it started out as a, a question about what motivates people. And, and Simon was kind of like, you know, there's all the normal stuff like, you know, sex, money, power, elephants. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the story goes. So the elephant is is the metaphor for the weird shit that, makes people tick, I guess. Yeah, it's good. So good. I really like the way that metaphor got pulled through the whole story. This is Sarah. One other thing about the elephant. Ilian tells Miles, this was before your time. If it hadn't been for your time, guess who would have been my number one choice <laughs> to go get that elephant? Yeah. He didn't not send Miles, you know, because he thought there was someone who could do a better job. It's just Miles probably hadn't been born yet or something. <laughs> well, no, he's probably been yeah. born. He just was like five years old or whatever. Yeah. And Miles has a little fun uh, in his own thought processes about the old story of the seven blind men in the elephant. And uh, every they all have to learn the elephant by touch. And each blind man touches a different body part and says, oh, it's got flaps. Oh no, it's like, a, it's like a snake. It's like a rope. It's like a tank. It's like a tree. <laughs> it's like a wall. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so the hard part sometimes is just actually getting the whole picture, which is, after all, what Nancy Drew in space has to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he now gets to become Nancy Drew. It's, it's funny how Gregor kind of just like does it on a almost like on a whim. Okay, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut my cousin and let him do this so he can get to talk to Ilian and then it turns out there's actual real mystery and he's and he's actually gonna <laughs> do the job and Miles takes it seriously. The thing that is so amazing about this the dawn of of Miles' space Nancy Drew phase is he is like that poor detective where you're like, oh well he went on vacation. I guess a body's gonna wash up any minute now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like wherever he goes if there is not already smoke filling the room to, for the fire, pointing to the fire he needs to find, he will set something on fire and then go put it out and find a different fire was already hiding under it. Like, Miles is ridiculous. <laughs> Trish here. Um, if Ilian is a potential plot magnet, Miles is a potential crazy magnet. <laughs> he is the center of flux around which... Things just happen. <laughs> He's just like a plot thermonuclear device. Like. <laughs> well, speaking of plot, one of the things that I really, really noticed this time, and thinking back on it, it's been evident for a while, but Lois McMaster Bujold knows the difference between story and plot. Oh, oh yes. she sure does. And 
she really showed that to me early on when I realized a lot of writers would have been really tempted to give us this whole prologue where we have to sit and witness the whole cock-up with the Mm. Dendari Mm -hmm. and the courier and the accidental shooting off of the courier's legs. And that would have been probably 25% of the book. But it's not part of the story. It's part of the plot. And Lois is more interested in the story and just gives us that plot point very economically. And I really appreciated that. She doesn't indulge herself. (laughs) This is Sarah. This is the first time I've reread from the start this book for a long time. The whole thing with his um, getting cashiered from Impsec and so on is so painful. I usually skip (laughs) to after that part. Skip to the ice bath. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I started it uh, Tuesday night. (laughs) Um right from the start and i was i was really drawn in and it just i i had forgotten how good the start of memory is it's so well done so just agreeing with the point made before i mean funny enough like this is my favorite book to sort of just listen to when i don't have something else or where i'm like oh i'm going to put on a book to listen to while i fall asleep and normally i i skip like to chapter 4 because, you know, what once once he's written his ter- his report and you know he's, he's set the charges to implode his own career, it's like okay. <laughs> but just the first three chapters and, and like his his shit with Ellie and Tara, and I'm just like, oh god, there's just so much cringe here. I just can't watch him do this, <laughs> and I'll just you know skip to where he is already torpedoed everything in his life. <laughs> I, I, it's just, I don't know why that in particular is so hard for me to read as opposed to like a lot of the other really emotionally intense stuff, like when Ilian kicks him out. But whoo, <laughs> it's rough. Trish here. Part of it is watching the slow fuse of self destruction. It's not a snap decision, it's. It's a terrible decision that he makes over a long period of time, and you keep yeah. wanting to shake him and say, no, no. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's that first th- three chapters, like at any point in those first three chapters, because chapter four is when he like goes to the office and hands in the report. So like any time in those first three chapters, he could have been like, you know what? This is a really dumb idea. What makes me think that I'm so fucking smart that I can hide something from the entirety of Impsec? But of course... That's what makes him such a wonderful character because he, you know, he he takes his hubris and he makes it into a little harness and he runs himself up the flagpole. (laughs) (laughs) This is Sarah. I just realized that this long, slow fuse of him writing and then miswriting the report reminds me of Hamilton, where Alexander Hamilton is writing that pamphlet and everyone is saying no (laughs) the whole cast is saying no 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 (laughs) this is a bad idea Uh, kind of like the entire country right now with howard schultz running oh my god (laughs) (laughs) how how loud do we have to say no The, the difference here is that that miles and alexander hamilton are likable characters so we actually feel sad when they're making terrible mistakes. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is Sarah. I'll go ahead and say um, the early part about with with Ellie and Tara, I actually really liked the part with him and Tara. 
on the ship. Well, there was the whole queasy feeling of Miles reminding himself that every time he's with Ellie or Tara, he's breaking the rules. But apart from that, I liked the part in, in, in him being shipboard with Tara where they're talking about it turns into an identity conversation. She asks him about Mark, and he's happy because unlike Ellie, she doesn't say whatever, that rat clone of that, Ellie. That little clone. Right, right. She says bad things. Uh, uh, Ellie says bad things. But Tora says, in genuine interest, how's Mark? And he's talking about, well, he's taking an accounting class. <laughs> accounting. I can't understand that, you know. And she says, maybe there's more accountant in you than you realize. And he says, no, no, no. And then he becomes an <laughs> auditor. The, the, the foreshadowing in this is just yes. like, you know, chef kiss. Like <laughs> Trish here, of course, that auditor position does mean a little something different from a CPA. But <laughs> it's still a connection. Yeah. Well, I, you know, the, the great thing about this job is that Miles gets to use his twisty mind to unravel other people's plots instead of making up his own plots. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is kind of like an a indication of his change, where he's not, like, running a scam on other people. He's, like, finding out what the scam is, because now he's got the expertise on scamming people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he had one last chance to go back. Lucas offered him basically everything that he could want at one point, and... I've never been so proud of a character before mm -hmm. when he says no. Uh, what's that wonderful line about um, you can't have your heart's desire if you give up your heart? Yeah. Oh, it's right. such a good. Oh, man. There are a lot of really great lines and, and paragraphs in this book. <laughs> yeah. And they're all about finally facing up to who you are mm -hmm. and growing up. And just like Ivan is more of a person now. And now we've kind of seen a little more of, of Gregor and what has become of him, which, you know, we've seen him get a little more serious and formidable every time. But this time, uh, the interrogation scene towards the end, holy cow. <laughs> yeah. How did nobody cry? <laughs> On, on on a lighter note, I had forgotten that the Empress's name was, was first name was Lisa. So when she's introduced, I didn't realize at first. And I was listening, like, oh my god, wait, wait, oh no, oh no, I forgot about this part. I forgot about the whole the Emperor takes yeah takes takes laces and charms her away from away from Dove, who's really he's working on a six month plan. <laughs> <laughs> He's working on a six-month plan. On the other hand, I felt bad up to this point for the poor Kudelka girls and how they keep getting used as uh, chaperones by Ivan and, and Miles. And so when, when, when Dove decides to take the leap of faith, it's like, yay, what, the Kudelka girl is, uh, will gladly get out of that mess. And I've always thought that, um, that uh, the Kudelka family was smart because, I mean, Miles points out the, the male-to-female ratio in Barriar of his generation is not that great, and the Kudelkas were all chosen to be women, so that made them very eligible uh, eligible brides rather than just adding to the pool of uh, men without a, enough uh, people of the same orientation to uh, pair up with. 
Yeah. And so uh, by their sheer number and position, every time they get married, that whole family turns into a more formidable force. So now they've got Dove. If they get Mark, <laughs> you know, if the other two do even half as well, those brothers-in-law are going to basically almost be able to be a force to rival Gregor and Miles, if I understand the dynamics of Barriar, right? And I think I do now. As I recall, all the Kudelkas wind up pairing well, but no spoilers. Yeah, I don't see how they couldn't, for exactly the reasons you pointed out. You know, they are four good-looking, well-bred, perfect pet pedigree, perfect position. Fighting machines! <laughs> Fighting machines, I know. With really important social connections. Right. <laughs> but I did kind of briefly, I never actually read the whole thing. I couldn't make it past the first chapter. But briefly, I did think of the alternate version of the Bennett sisters in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I could totally picture these four girls like in a star farm formation with weapons out. Hell yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> The Bennett sisters of Barriar. This is Sarah. I want to circle back to Gregor <laughs> and the interrogation scene. So there's a part where Harosh is explaining why he um, fell back on Dove Galani as, as a scapegoat. Um, and he's really speaking of Dove as just a throwaway. He didn't matter to Hirosh. And Gregor gets even more quiet, and Miles has never seen him this angry. And to me, that was partly personal and partly Gregor the Emperor. Gregor the Emperor has been working and working and working his, almost his whole life on the Kamaran Bariaran reconciliation. Dove Galini is the shining star of the reconciliation effort. But Harosh doesn't care about that. To him, um, Galeni is just a, a throwaway Kamaran. And it is kind of a foreshadowing of what Mark later says. He would have started doctoring the reports being sent to Gregor for his own good because Harosh knows best. And you could just to me, none of this isn't really stated. You just see Mark noticing Gregor get really quiet. I'm sorry, Miles seeing Gregor get really quiet. And to me, part of what was going on is Gregor is seeing Hirosh totally disregard one of his major priorities for his empire. And that was just a fascinating little, little bit to me. Trishier, yeah, this is a book really worth paying attention to the small details because everything isn't explained for you, but everything is pointed out for you. <laughs> so you have to watch those signals. Those are very good insights that hadn't even occurred to me yet. I did just finish this book this afternoon in a haze of cold medicine, but you're, you're absolutely <laughs> right. Hirosh even if he hadn't been stupid enough to enact this stupid plot against Ilion, just by demonstrating his attitude towards Galeni. And right there, he proved that he would never be fit for the job that he was aspiring to. Yeah, yeah na na naked ambition disregarding 
the Imperium and and claiming that he's a good servant of the Emperor, whereas, no, the, the tranquil fury, fury, which is the phrase I kept thinking of as, as Gregor's listening to to him just unravel, unravel his uh, plans and plots, it's like, you don't get what makes Barriar Barriar, and you make a, make a bad choice for Im- for the head of Imsec. I, I did find it interesting that Miles turns down the yeah. job right off. It's like, nope, don't want it, don't want it. And, and because we already seen that this was apparently what the idea was from the beginning was Ilya was trying to groom him for, but I don't think that ever would have worked even if Miles hadn't been, been so so stupid as to have got caught out in the lie and cashiered out. And I did notice, I did, I did like the fact that, that Ilya makes it clear that he had known Miles was lying for a while. So it's not even, even if he had told the truth report, he would have been, been caught because he had lied back when the event first happened about the seizure. So Il, Ilya had his number right from the get-go. And Miles' sin of hiding stuff from Imsec was longer than the time frame of this book. And Miles pays that cost. I mean, lands on his feet. I mean, I think he needs to get cash at Imsec to become an auditor, but it's a painful, permanent, as Alex was saying, it's a painful, permanent uh, blowing up of Vulcan, to use the uh, the Star Trek 2009 version. Because I remember when I watched the movie, like, they can't keep Vulcan blown up, can they? Yes, they can. Yes, they can. I mean, honestly, I would have been madder if they hadn't. I was expecting that throughout the movie. Like, okay, they're going to get Vulcan back somehow. They're going to get Vulcan back. Time machine. Going back in time, something. No. Just like poor Miles here. Miles does not get to go back to being for the Dendari or or to be uh, to work for Imsec. He can't. He has to go forward to something new. Yeah, I think we'll see him noticing soon. This is my little prediction that he'll realize that actually Hiroshi probably did him a favor. <laughs> like he was he was pretty close to being in, in the trap for that position. If it hadn't blown up in this way, he might well have, in a couple years, wound up stuck with Ilian's job instead of ending up where he does. <laughs> and Ilian's job would have, he would have just been a, a trapped animal the rest of his life. So, so soul suck in the, in the bowels of a uh, hideous fail, build, building. I mean, I, I love how the Imsec headquarters, once again, is described as the most hideous building on Barrier. But and yet I would go there and want to photograph the gargoyles and everything. Damn it! Oh sure. Well, you know, Bujol did a wonderful job of contrasting Imsec headquarters and Forkosigan House. You know, the two main kind of centers of action in this in this book are these two buildings that are so important. Forkosigan House has windows and a view and tradition and beauty and. And they're only four kilometers away from each other <laughs> because Miles walks home from Imsec, right. one of the, right? at some point, right? In a very plot important fashion. <laughs> As it so happens, yes, it saves his bacon. I did like the little detail, like, why does Miles have the little bedroom he had? Because that would be the hardest one to throw a grenade into. Right. Yeah, that was a, that was, that was a neat revelation from Cordelia. And a nice little call back to yeah, the, just how precarious the Volkazikans' existence was. And, I mean, as witnessed by the, the attack that caused Miles' deformity. Yeah, they've come a long way since, since the battle days of the Pretendership and Civil War. This could almost feel like a valedictory book. Like, if she had wanted to end it here, because I really, when Miles goes back to the hill country, 
and revisits. I never figured out how to say their last name. Sizurik? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Visits the family and sees how they've come along and uh, gets his little listen from from Mama Sizurik. That was possibly my favorite part of the book. But at the same time, it really, it, it might, it was also maybe the most melancholy because I was just like, it reminded me a little bit of the, of the 10th doctor <laughs> visiting all of his old companions before he croaks. <laughs> I don't want to go, says oh. Miles. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, Mama Sir, what she says is, you know, she was just like, you just go on. Sorry, Miles. I know you're used to having answers that you can, you know. And he, and he has that kind of a, a similar conversation with himself later where he's like, because this is the book, right, where he says, I'm tired of playing wall. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's a similar thing where, where it's like all his life he's been just trying to beat, you know, he's gotten through problems by sort of outlasting them or beating his head against them or whatever. Or lying. And he finally <laughs> has a problem he can't defeat that way. And he's forced to face the, the fact that all he can do is just keep living his life instead of, you know, making some kind of grand dramatic gesture and blah. Or changing the rules. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because he's finally hit a rule that he can't change. So, this is Sarah, Miles does start to realize he's been ad- addicted to the adrenaline, and he's really let Naismith take over his life including his his sexual activities, he realizes at some point, hey, Lord Vorkosigan hasn't had sex in a long, long time. Um, so <laughs> It's true. <laughs> Possibly never. Uh, no, I think maybe he had as a teen or something like that. Yeah, it's been a long time, though. Some pity thing or something. So anyway, um, but he realizes that the, the thing of... of um, Again and again and again and again, meeting, trying, trying to play wall. He, he's he's sort of lost sight of that. And what what I was reminded of in rereading that section, and his sort of grappling with the fact that he's let Naismith kind of take over his life a little more than he had realized. Thinking back to his first encounter with Dove Galeni, mm. when Dove meets this. For all he knows, um, vor puppy, vor puppy, who who <laughs> his father gave him a little mercenary army to play with, or something like that. Dove catches on that Miles really sometimes loses track of being Lord Vorkosigan, and Miles sees Dove looking at him that way and plays it to get what he wants at the moment, and doesn't take seriously that. You know, this experienced officer is looking at him like, you've kind of lost track of yourself for a little bit. So it was just interesting to me to see see, see that come up again, where he's sort of realizing a little bit that Naismith has taken over Miles' identity, maybe more than Miles had realized, was happening, and that others saw it quite a while ago. There was a discussion, I think, in the previous book between Mark and... Uh, Cordelia and maybe maybe also Errol ab- about Miles is a little uh, unbalanced. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, so it, it's just interesting how you know. Of course, Miles has always been Mister Forward Momentum, and not always taking a really hard look at himself. 
Let's just like you could almost picture a, a $20 bill getting passed around from all the people that had made a bet on whether Miles would book it and go be Admiral Naismith forever versus toughing it out. And not even his mother seems to have bet on him deciding to, to be the Vorkos again. This is Sarah, but Errol did bet. Uh, and I think that's partly because Errol's a Barry Aron, and he feels that deep down underneath it all, Miles is a Barry Aron too. Yeah. 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 That connection back to his grandfather and bonding with his grandfather over horses. Yeah, de- at, the, at the very core, Miles is, which is why when Ellie Quinn tries to offer him that temptation, well, why don't you just come with me and be Admiral Naismith? We don't need a Volkazigans. We don't need MSEC. Just come with me. Miles is tempted, but in the end, yeah, he can't pull that trigger. He has to go back and be Volkazigan. He can't be Naismith full-time forever. And I appreciated that. It's like, I appreciate him being handed that temptation and finally saying, no. No, 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 I'm, 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 so, I'm sorry, I'm done. Twice he turns it down, really. Well, yeah, yeah, the count of temptation and Imsec. Yeah, but he, he, he turns it down as being Imsec and Admiral Naisbeck, or just Admiral Naisbeck, and forget Barry R. For a game of soldiers, kind of, kind of like what uh, Elena basically has done. Yeah, uh, but we better still get to see everybody a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can say, as I think I'm the only one on on this episode that is reading the books for the first time. It sounds like we will, from a little chat we had before we started recording, but I, I, I'm not ready to give up all those other characters <laughs> yet, you guys. <laughs> this is Sarah. There are some great characters in these books. Um, the thing that was just said about Elena and um, Baz, Jessic, quitting. Right. And Miles is just completely stunned by this, but I think it does partly plant a seed that he doesn't water, but later on kind of blooms inside him. Anyway, I could, I could quit. I, I don't have to be the admiral. And it's just he's just so blown away by Elena saying, "Well, I've been a soldier. I've done that, and there's so many other things I could do." She had talked with Cordelia, and found out that Cordelia had not just been a soldier, but had also been uh, a survey captain and all these other things. So sort of expanding horizons there. Very, very mild spoil in a very, very general way. Cordelia hasn't had the last act in what she does either. (laughs) Correct. That's fairly obvious because she's still so freaking formidably awesome. She's still the female role, role model for everyone. But I also like... I, I also like how we get Lady Alice on stage a lot for this. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yes. Oh, she gets to be something besides a yenta. Yeah. <laughs> she has needs, desires, and goals of her own, and one of them involves Simon Neely. And Ivan is so put out when he, <laughs> when he finds out. It's like, it's your fault, Miles. It's your fault. Do I have to start calling him daddy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor I. Poor Ivan. Ivan gets chewed up in the, in this in this book way too much because because I, I think this is where Bouchard starts feeling bad for Ivan. At least I said she's starting to write him because he gets turned down. He gets turned down twice for marriage proposals. He gets his mother is now um, sleeping with the former head of Imsec. And if you notice, every single task that Miles accomplishes, he needs Ivan to help him out. Ivan is a steady right hand, but because then after this, 
after this Bouchot roll set again to where we get to see the softer side of Ivan with the kitten tree. And then, <laughs> so, so I do think that this is when I can't read into Bouchot's mind, but I'm going to try anyway. This is where she started saying, poor, poor Ivan, poor Ivan needs a, a little fleshing out in love and a, a world of his own. And he, she starts it here and there'll be seeds to be planted way down the line. Yes, I have a small, I have a soft spot for Ivan, can't you tell? I can, I can see that. And I've been waiting to see what was going to become of him. I'm glad he's not just a big, handsome lout, you know, that's a walking reminder of what Miles would be if he hadn't been exposed to the soul toxin gas. Yeah, Trish here. Um, just uh, one other thing. Uh, yes, Ivan does get some emotional hits in, in this book. But he also gets demonstrated to him how much Miles trusts him deep down. Miles may not exactly respect Ivan the way that Ivan would like to be, but Ivan knows that Miles depends on him absolutely uh, to have the right reactions in a war stress situation, to keep secrets as needed, and then be a reliable witness as needed to be brave in danger and to uh, have what it takes to sit in a room with a person whose memory keeps flushing every five minutes. And oh, God, those scenes killed yeah. me, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a clear analogy to um, Alzheimer's disease and other such d- diseases of the mind and memory. And yet, yeah, th- I mean, yeah, we keep going through that those scenes over and over again. It's like, oh, yeah, that that was like a, a shot to the heart to see what Simon was going through with that. Uh, Trish, again, I it's really uh, amazing how much um, Lois McMaster Bujol goes into that. You know, she it's a terrifying depiction of mental illness and being lost, and you know, poor Ivan. Get, I mean, sorry. Ilian got stuck in that room with no familiar faces for a week as he kept, you know, coming naked and under restraint, too. Right, right. It would have been easy to have just skipped over the uh, to the chip uh, autopsy, but she really went into what it was like there. Again, story versus plot. The plot is there's something wrong with him. The story is exploring what is wrong with him why, what it feels like, and what it means. This is Sarah. It's part of what erases all my sympathy for Hiroshi. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Oh, man. And I usually, I usually feel sorry for the villain's comeuppance. You know, like if a villain cries in the last act, I usually end up crying along with him or her or, or Ver, but not this time. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Yeah, fuck that guy. Uh, so also about Hirosh and my dislike for him, um, this is Sarah. Uh, the thing about him uh, viewing Galeni as a throwaway is not the first time that we see that he really isn't as up to the job as he thinks he is, because he's totally discounting Alice for Patrol's abilities. Um, You're right, and, yes. And, and in fact, they slightly discuss this as being a deficiency of him, and supposedly he learns from it and flexes and is a little able to more able to work for um with Alice for Patrol but since we know he's a lying schemer the whole way through you know 
it may be just placating Tilly's really strongly positioned enough. But yeah, he was definitely totally discounting uh, the whole social, civil side of Gregor's aims. Yeah, but he betrayed a certain sociopathy when he gave that perfect apology to Alice early on in that, in that call. It was, you know, and, 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 and Miles even remarks upon how he did it exactly right. And it's just like, that's a guy who knows exactly what to do, but doesn't feel it. Indeed. So we're coming in about 35 minutes and we want to talk a little bit about a couple other things. So what, any final thoughts about the, about the book? Let's take it in order. Let's start with you, Kate. Okay. Well, I've been babbling about all along about how much I appreciated the plot versus story thing and the the trip down memory lane. I mean, we visited every place except Camp Permafrost. And I'm okay if we don't go back to Camp Permafrost. You know, I live there. So (laughs) I mean, we're currently living Uh, in Camp Permafrost. (laughs) Yeah, it's Permafrost right now. Most of us live there, I think. <laughs> there was a 120-mile-per-hour wind gust in my state at 2 this morning. <laughs> and I know Paul's living at be- well below zero, and you are too, Alex, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And Trish and Sarah, what's the weather like there? <laughs> this is Sarah. It's 11 degrees here in Maryland tonight. Yeah. Balmy! Yeah, so, Balmy! Yeah. Camp Permafrost. We don't need to go there. We live there. <laughs> I'll hail the polar vortex. <laughs> but I, I, I really, I also liked watching Miles. Again, I've mentioned Miles grows up here, but he's had to spend time in Vorkosican house without his parents. You know, that kind of preview of what it's going to be like when they're no longer around for good. And his first pathetic attempts at building a household. (laughs) And I loved Martin and his brother and Ma Costa and Zap the Cat. Yes. (laughs) And I love how everyone in Vorbar Sultana is suddenly coveting Ma Costa, the the undiscovered treasure of a cook. (laughs) That was all lovely. Except I kept getting hungry. I'm not allowed <laughs> to have things like peach tarts anymore because I can't digest starch. Oh. I want a peach tart now. That's so sad. <laughs> but that's why I do all the goofy recipes that I do on the home punks. Subtle plug. <laughs> Alex, final thoughts from you. I mean, this remains my favorite Vorkosigan book. And actually, it is the doorway into all of my favorite books because we're coming up on a bunch of books that I just loved pieces. Mm. I, I just, I don't know, it's something about Miles' Space Nancy Drew phase that is just <laughs> really precious to me that I, I just love. And I, I think maybe it's because it, it is the sign of him sort of growing up to the extent that Miles is capable of growing up. And, and I mean, you know, he still leads his charmed life where he shoots, you know, he shoots himself in the foot. And while he's hopping around holding his bloody foot, he falls into a pigsty and then comes <laughs> up with a diamond. Like, that is Miles' life. But at least here it felt like, this is the time it felt like he actually earned it the most. Because he did a lot of self-reflection and he realized how badly he fucked himself up. And he went in not expecting to win 
He just went in being like, there's something wrong. I need to save Simon. I need to like take down Hirosh. And now I'm going to write a really awesome report. And he, you could tell there was no expectation that it would go any further. He was like, here's my report. See you later. Yeah. He just wanted that captaincy. That's all he wanted. That's all he wanted. And for once he was rewarded with something so great because he had, it felt like he had really, really earned it. And not just by talking real fast. <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting to know those other auditors a little bit, too. I hope they are still a factor moving forward. They seem cool. Like, another, like, beautiful moment in the, the you know, when he realizes that Hirosh was trying to bribe him. And, yeah. you yeah. know, he's, like, in his room having this inter- internal massive struggle and Ilian just kind of like knocks on the door is like are you okay in there and he's like I'm wrestling with the devil <laughs> <laughs> oh who won <laughs> we're going for best two out of three <laughs> like, I mean that I was like yeah it feels like he really changed and it changed in such a solid way like and I again I just appreciate it so much because a lot of people aren't willing to kind of like burn a character down and be like, well, that's not going to happen anymore. Now we're going to have like a completely new sort of series. Could you imagine them doing that to like Indiana Jones or something? Right? No, of course not. <laughs> okay, Tr- Trish, final thoughts. Well, this book is a bit hard, to, uh, at least at the start. It's there. It's really emotionally difficult to read some of what happens but it is so absolutely worth it um the it's just great things happen in this book and you get to see some really hard choices made very well after the really hard choices made very badly um and uh i love how this book really starts calling back some of the moments from the early books and going through. So yeah, it could have been kind of a valediction, uh, but this is really just the start of things that you would might have forgotten about from the early books are going to start popping up in a major way in the series again. And it's just lovely to see how a great author can weave plot elements through, let things subside, only to come back up again. Uh, it's really writing mastery, I think. It's fucking literature. Agreed. <laughs> Sarah, any final thoughts from you, Sarah? Yes, uh, a couple. The the lovely domestic moments in this book. Um, the here he is in a big empty house, um, and uh, the there's some excellent dinners and tea services, and him rearranging rooms and you know um putting up simon as a house guest for a while there's just some nice domestic stuff in there but i i do also love how at the end yeah as as naismith he was never going to be able to use all of who he was um because the verkasigan barrier inside was pretty much there was nowhere to go in naismith land but as the imperial auditor he gets to use all of who he is, um, all, all his twisty wiles, all his galactic contacts and experience. Um, uh, one, one of the auditors points out Miles knew of a resource to tap for the analysis of the chip that none of them would have known. And, and so I just love that, you know, by the end, he, he's, he's, he's ready to roll on all cylinders. So I, I, I do think this is one of the best for Kazakin 
books out there. It nicely stands alone. The, the, the word valedictor- valedictory does work well. I think I also think of it as if you wanted to stop reading more cause again, which is a valid choice. Life is short and there's other things to read. This would be a nice off ramp because we could, you can see Miles go off into the next phase of his life and thought, okay, he's, he's done all the early and Admiral Naismith stuff. I can go read something else. I mean, as Alex points out, the Space Nancy Drew stuff is pretty damn awesome. So I'm not sure why you'd want to, but it's a it it's because we do get all those callbacks to everything, all the way back to uh, to him in his room and why because to, to protect him to save his life through callbacks to the, all the way back to the mountain mountains of mourning and just about every book that Bouchel has written to this point gets gets a tag at this point. So it is is a very nice wrap up wrap up this phase of Miles' life and this phase of the series with a with it with a bow and yet leave a to be uh leave a second strike star to the right and straight until morning for those who want to continue on and see where miles and the rest of what causing goes next and i do appreciate that book for it it i not remembered every single detail but as they start coming back like oh yes and oh yes it is a very delightful book in that way it was i this is the first time i had listened to it the last time i had read this i had just read it straight through and once once again the audio narration was excellent excellent and i'm really enjoying grover gardner's narration of these books okay so we are at the end of our episode i just want to remind our readers you can find us on we can find us on twitter at skiffy and fanty we have a skiffy and fanty facebook page we have our patreon if you want to back us and keep supporting what we do and we're all over the internet and now we have a YouTube. And we have a YouTube. Thank you, Kate. And we also even have a YouTube. See, we are all over the internet. We're taking over. We're taking over the genre sphere. But as always, listeners, stay frosty and see. If you would like to support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty or find us on Twitter at skiffyandfanty, our webpage skiffyandfanty.com, or you can even send us an email at skiffyandfanty at gmail.com. The intro music for this podcast was taken from Rock Thing by Creo. You can find out more about their music on freemusicarchive.org.